Good morning, Central Christian Church. What a pleasure to be back again sharing. Uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, situation. I, I'll be online here in Chile, but I will be at the church when I'm preaching this, this weekend. So that's interesting. And if you look around, we're in a new place. This is the coffee shop of our youth center uh, here in Maipú, Chile. And so we're uh, sharing from here. If you hear a few sounds, uh, that's part of our life here. And so be ready. But I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share. I, uh, Pastor Tim said you just finished going through Philippians. And so I just wanted to start with that verse when, we're, when we talk about the theme that is missional people. Look what it says here. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of humans. And so we, we see this missional heart from the, from the very beginning, we see it from the start. He, God traveled here. He became man. He is a missional father. He is a missional being that cares so much about us. And so when we talk about missional people, I, I hope you're ready to do certain things. First one is you need to get a passport. You, I know so many North Americans that don't have a passport. And so if we're talking about missions outside of the United States, that's one of the things that you'll need to do. The other thing that you don't need is a pile of money. I have seen this so many times through my life. Everybody thinks, no, first I need to just get all of the money. I need to get everything all set up and then I will move ahead. Uh, the next thought is that, that you need to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, I don't know if that's the best theory, really. To get out of your comfort zone. Have you ever seen somebody that's out of their comfort zone? They're kind of like, oh, this isn't comfortable. I want to challenge you to do something else. Expand your comfort zone so that you feel comfortable where you go, the new people you meet, the countries that you go into as well. Uh, I've been in more than 40, 40 countries. And I think one of the greatest things and one of the greatest statements is I feel comfortable in every one of those countries. I love to interact with those people in every one of those countries. There's some that are, are just like family to me. When I'm in northern Iraq, when I'm in, in, in Sierra Leone, those people are precious. They are like family to me. And they know I feel comfortable there. I've watched uh, some of own, our own teams uh, uh, look at food that's been served and like, you know, fa facial expressions uh, cross cultures. And so I always have a little special talk 
with all my all of my teams saying your face communicates uh, what you're thinking as well so it's it's a good lesson for all of us and so i learned very early what missional people are like as a matter of fact uh, the youth pastor where i came to know the lord in portland oregon uh, he was crazy. Uh, many of you probably know him. His name is Jim Crane. And one day he said, we're going to go down to downtown Portland, Skid Row, because in the 70s, Portland, Oregon, downtown had turned into a, a sex industry, sales of pornography. I know Things have changed now and now, uh, today, uh, in the sense that many times you can find this stuff, unfortunately, on internet. But back in the days when I was a youth, you had to go to a shop. And so he decided that we would go down to the biggest porn shop in Portland, Oregon, and pray in front of it. Now you had to have your parents' permission and so not everyone got per permission, obviously. I don't think I was real clear on what I told my parents uh, we were going to do. I'd only been a Christian about a year. And so about half of the kids stayed at the church. And they were going to pray for the people that were downtown. And so, so they made up a list and divided it up in 15-minute segments. And so they would start praying. And so I was down there and it was on two, it was on a corner. So we stretched down both sides and it was so crazy. You would watch people come up to the front door, look up and see all these youth praying and turn around and leave. And so nobody went into this porn shop the whole day. And so I was standing there and, and a native indigenous person came walking down the street and I said to him, God loves you. And he looks at me and he goes, how do you know? And I goes, it says in the Bible. And he goes, show me. Now, I hadn't been a Christian real long and I went, let me go get someone for you. And he grabbed me and said, no, you show me. And I went, uh-oh. Uh, but I did know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And he looked at me and went, not bad. And then he walked off. And to this day, I don't know what I said to him. But, and, and, and it wasn't an insult, but he turned around and came at me and I went, I'm going to die. This guy is going to hit me. And he came up to me and he hit me with his chest and knocked me back. And there was a brick wall. And I'm looking around at my friends and everyone's in the twilight zone. They're looking everywhere but what's going on with me. And I went, God, this is not fair. Like, I, I've just started walking with you. Kill one of these guys, one of these other people that have been in the church forever. And, and so he starts at me again, and I went, what do I do? Do I defend myself? Do I hit him? Help me. And he came up to me, and I went, I put my hands down. I go, 
here I come. And he gets ready for another one of those hits, and all of a sudden his face just goes. And he turns around and leaves. And so I just kind of slide down against the wall and go, whoa. And then all my friends go, hey, Jeff, what happened? I go, oh, hey, Jeff, what happened? I almost got killed. Where were you guys when this happened? And so they went, oh, this is great. And so we continued the day, and it was a wonderful day. And then we went back to church. And people were sharing their testimonies. And, and somebody said, Jeff, tell, tell your testimony. Tell what happened to you. And I went, and I explained what happened, you know, with that person. And the people that were in the church asked me, do you know what time that happened? And I went, yeah, like, I'm going to forget when I almost died. And so it was, I said it was at 4.15. And they all got quiet. And they looked at me, and then they handed me the prayer paper. And at 4.15, my name had come up. And they began to pray for me. And so I went, I get this, Father. I get this, how you love us and how you protect us and how you watch over us. And so it marked my life. But I want to challenge you because we have this idea that somehow we are going to become world Christians without being local Christians first. And that's what it takes what are we doing in our community? What are we doing in our neighborhoods that make a difference? Do you know what the most frequently repeated command in the Bible is? Do not fear. That is repeated more times than any other command in the Bible. And so it must be important. And our Heavenly Father must realize how much fear dominates us locally and internationally. But look what Isaiah 41.10 says. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the right hand of Yahweh. This is the right hand of our Father. And this is a a righteous hand, but it's also a protective hand in the, in the Bible. It's almost, it's almost known as a powerful hand as well. And so he is promising that that fear needs to disappear because of what we believe about our Creator. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love. No fear. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Uh, and it really bugs me how certain churches manipulate people because of fear. And I was sharing just yesterday at church, I was, I was preaching here in Chile, and I remembered this example of, I was up in, in the north of Chile. It's a desert area, and they are hard people. And so it was a campaign, and I, I preached, and I did an invitation, and no one came forward. And so the pastor from that area goes, oh, you don't know how to preach in the north. Let me show you. And so he gets up, and he says, 
My mother had throat cancer. And towards the end, when you listened to her breathe, it was, <laughs> and he goes, and that's what it's going to be like for you in hell if you don't repent. I went, whoa, I almost went forward. I almost gave my life again, and I went, that, that's kind of tragic. Because it's, it's a salvation based on fear, when here it says, there is no fear in love. We have the love of the Father. Perfect love dries out all fear. And so that's one of the things that we need to overcome is that fear in our lives if we're going to be missional people. M.T. Wright says, let's make no mistake about it. Until you learn to live without fear, you won't find it easy to follow Jesus. It's that, it's that clear. Until we put fear aside, it will always stop us. It will always limit us in so many ways. I believe with my, all of my heart that the safest place in the world is in God's will. If you're in His will, you'll be able to accomplish things. I have stories of seeing His protection, seeing His love in some of the craziest places. I have literally said, it kind of became a theme for many years, we're going to die. It just happened. We we're in so many situations, but I always found the protection of the Father, the love of the Father. Dietrich Hoff Bonhoeffer said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. That's where our focus needs to be on constantly and courageously walking in our Father's good and perfect will. If that's our heart, if that's what we desire, desire these are the kind of things that will take place as we move out and be comfortable among the people that don't have salvation. I have felt Yahweh's pleasure in more moments of crisis, of faith, in other countries than anywhere else in my life. There have been times in, in countries where I have been on my knees saying, Father, is this a crazy idea of mine? Did I get this team in this situation because I am just adventurous? And I've just asked the Father for confirmation. And when we walk in obedience, it's during those crises of faith that I just felt my Father's pleasure just come over me and felt His goodness and felt His confirmation. Philip was one of the early disciples that extended his comfort zone. Look what Acts 8, 4 through 8 says. Those who had been scattered, which was a great thing, the persecution in the early church, scattered people all over, and he preached the word wherever he went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. 
When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played close attention to what he said. For there were shrieks, impure spirits coming out of many, and many that were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Our presence in the city should bring great joy. What is taking place in our workplace? What is taking place in, for example, the neighborhood around Central Christian Church? Is there great joy because you're outside of this building making an impact? I do watch, I do follow your social media. You're doing some incredible things. But as individuals, people of the church, are you making an impact? Does your presence uh, bring joy? Maybe you should go and do a door-to-door. How much joy are we bringing to our community? It's a good question that I think we need to ask. Look at this other example. Acts 9, 36 through 41 says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek it means the name Dorcas. She was always doing good things and helping the poor. About that time, she came, became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstair, upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. When the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the, and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Don't you see the kind of woman was making an impact? She was, a, she was an entrepreneur. She was a person of wealth. She was a person of business. But the reaction of the people of her community when Peter showed up was they brought all the clothes that she had made for these people. They wept saying, what a precious person served our community. That is my desire for a missional church, for what we need to be as people as well. That if something were to happen to Central Christian Church, or to one of the leaders, or even one of the members of the church, people would weep, saying, look what they had done for us. Look how they had changed our lives. Look at the goodness they had done for us. Um, for a while, I was using Uber here in, in Chile, and uh, it was crazy, especially when I'd go to the airport because it was just easier than making my family fight through all the traffic. And, and it's just crazy at the Chilean International Airport. And so I'd take Uber. And, you know, we have two options. We can just not say anything. We can just say, here's my address. Or we can try to engage with the people. Now, in, in Chile, People have a concept of pastors, and many pastors are very traditional. And I break 
most of those traditions. And so I began talking with the chauffeur, and by the time I am at uh, the airport, he pulls over and said, and I say, can I just pray for you? And he said, oh, please. And he's weeping, uh, thanking me for his prayers. This has happened more than once. I've considered starting an Uber ministry. Just drive around and just talk to people and just connect with people because it's an opportunity. And some people, again, we're talking about comfort zone, don't feel comfortable talking to strangers. You need to get past that, really. Uh, you need to feel comfortable engaging with other people and helping them know. Uh, it breaks down all kinds of false concepts that people have about followers of Jesus, and you can make that difference. And so what would, what would be the definition of Jesus when he talks about being spiritual. This is his definition of what spirituality is, I believe. In Lucas, Luke, sorry, that was Spanish, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which, which was lost. That was his mission. He understood that. There was a relationship that was broken and he came to restore that broken relationship. He came to seek the lost. That's why there's so many parables no, uh, about the, the, the seeking of the lost. We have the shepherd leaving 99 and going to find that one lost sheep. That's the love of the Father. That's the love of our Savior. He's more interested in those that are outside. He is more interested in those that are lost and he will do whatever possible. He recklessly pursues the lost people to keep us in his covenant. He shows his love. He desires for us to finish well. The other example, remember the woman who lost one coin says she tore the house apart, looking everywhere for that coin. And when she found it, she told everybody. She called in her neighbors and she said, look, I found the coin, the one that I had lost. And there was rejoicing and there was joy in this situation. And so once again, just that heart of our father looking at the lost, uh, instead of concentrating on the nine coins, instead of concentrating in, in protecting what we have, which is a horde mentality, we go after the lost. We go after the one. We risk everything to go after others. And the last example, obviously, is the prodigal son. This son just blew it royally. But you see a father looking out the window, constantly hoping that that son will come back. That's the love of our father, desiring the return of the worst of us. And I was one of them. And there was a good, good father that when he saw me turn around and head home, he came out and it literally said, in those days it was robes. He picked up his robes, which was culturally disastrous, and ran out. 
and threw his arms around his son and kissed his cheek and gave him a ring and, and gave him fine clothes again. And he said, my son that was dead has come back to life. We are passionate. And believe me, we're not that huge of a movement. We do have 30 churches, and it all started in our living room uh, 45 years ago with a Sunday school. But we now are passionate about mobilizing Latinos to the least people group in the world. And it's my sons who developed this whole passion that was called Vive. It was about recruiting young people, having conferences, and they just did an incredible job of worship, an incredible job of, of inviting people from outside our country as well to be able to lead in worship, to be able to speak. We had other partner churches where we've had alliances formed for years that shared with us here in Chile. And we would preach for four days about the Great Commission, about our responsibilities. We would have different workshops about all different things, about unreached people groups, of how to improve your prayer life and how to develop spiritual disciplines so when you're on the field, you can be able to, to feed yourself. And we did a call and we invited people to, to decide to go to a country to pray over, to see situations. And so uh, right before the pandemic, we sent teams to Morocco, Sierra Leone, Thailand, and Northern Iraq, which is known as Kurdistan. Four different teams doing incredible things, working with women in, in sex traffic situations in Thailand, digging a well in Sierra Leone, uh, doing uh, workshops and helping the refugees in Iraq. I mean, it was just an incredible situation. But we have been a church like this forever. In 2003, we took a team of 12 to northern Iraq. As a result, we have two centers there right now. And you see some of these children. Uh, we teach art. We teach English. We teach ballet, we teach music, music we teach uh, taekwondo, we teach computations, we have trauma centers for the refugees, and it's just made an incredible thing. We teach sewing, so now some of the women have developed their own businesses as well. Because of ISIS, we have an incredible amount of refugees. We have been feeding refugees for over four years. And one time when, when I was in with the, the team, which is over half Muslim, uh, because we believe we should work together and partner together, they have the ideas of their needs. And just in passing, I said, one day I'd like to do a marriage seminar. And one of the team members said, can you do it before you leave? And I said, I'm leaving in two days. He said, well, can you? I said, yes. And so I just scrambled and I went, five languages of love. I know that. I believe in it. I can teach that. And so that very first time, 23 couples showed up at our center. And 
then I got on the plane. And when I came back, they said, can you do it again? And so the next time, there were about 60 couples at this uh, seminar for marriage because in, in the Muslim culture, there is very little teaching on this. There is so much abuse and so many bad practices in that culture that we kept going. And so they said, said to me, we've rented a hall for you for 300 people. And they took me to the hall. This thing was big. And I go, and what kind of advertising did you do? And they said, we put some photocopies. We pasted them on walls around. And I went, uh-oh, this is not good. This is not going to be great. But when we got there that day, the hall was full. As you can see on the pictures that we're showing, it was packed. And it was just an incredible, incredible response. Now that's definitely moving into a new comfort zone and, and, and really challenging some of the basic beliefs of marriages. And uh, in question and answer time, there was some very interesting dialogues at times. And so it was a great experience. They then invited me to a university. I was there with Kathy. She was such a help, such a support. 600 university students showed up. And I, I talked to the director. I said, is this normal? And they said, no. And if it's not good, they're going to walk out. And I went, oh, great. He said, but they did come because five languages of love is an interesting title. The great thing was they stayed till the end after I did about 7 million selfies with all the people, and it was just an amazing time. As a result, television showed up, and it was invited onto Kurdish television as well to talk about the five languages of love. Now, I don't speak Kurdish, so I used an interpreter. Don't believe you can't be used if you don't speak the language. There are people that do speak the language and will be able to help you as well. And so now we've moved our, our conference to other countries where we have church plants. We did it in Ecuador, an incredible response as well. So many youth coming forward. And so people, especially Latinos, are excited about being used in the least reached people groups of the world. So when we, when we think about what, what a missional body of believers needs to look like, look what Luke 14 says. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. You got paid back. They invited you back, so that's all you should expect. But look what it says in verse 13. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed 
Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so then again, it's pretty clear teachings from our Savior, from Yeshua. He says, don't invite your friends. Invite the poor. Invo invite the lame. Invite the people that can't pay you back. Because that's how we become a missional people. In your neighborhoods. Events at your churches. Consider the people that have the least. And it says you will be repaid, not right now, but at the resurrection of the, rice, of the righteous. And so I, I just want to encourage you in that way, Central Christian, I know you're a missional church. I mean, you sent us out 45 years ago, eternally grateful. You have continued to send people out all of these years. You have never once failed to bless us and have made incredible other things take place. But as local believers, as a local church, expand your comfort zone. Take risks. Don't allow fear to dominate your decisions on where and what you will do. Perfect love of our Father will protect you. Being in His will is the safest place in the world. And so many churches need a paradigm shift. They need to consider the least loved, the least reached. San Jose has so many ethnic groups without hope. Look for those people. They'll never be able to pay you back. But you will one day see people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation there as a result of your love. Let me pray and a blessing upon you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share at a church I love so much. Heavenly Father, Yahweh, I give you thanks for this precious church. I pray that this word will be a challenge to them. I pray that they will become comfortable all over the world. And I pray that your love will become so evident that there will be no fear and that you will watch over them. And I pray that they will see that they are part of seeing your kingdom established throughout the world. Bless them. May you continue to open the windows with blessings upon them so that they may bless the nations. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. <laughs>